0: Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Hey, well, we're, in a, we're starting a new collection today called uh, God at Work, God at Work. I'm really excited about it. I really believe that God's gonna speak to every one of our hearts. Uh, we, we've been in this journey uh, this year where I really believe that every single time when we gather, God is bringing our church to new heights and new depths. And, um, and it's just an honor to get to serve here, to be, get to be a part of this fellowship, this community. And, uh, and I really believe that this is going to be one of those those collections that God is going to speak to. You know, we live in this post, not just a postmodern context, but you and I, because of the the location, the geography, the place that God has placed us, we actually live in a post-Christian context. And, and because of that sometimes it can it can often be a challenge to live out our faith in our workplace in the community that we live in sometimes it can we can really feel like we have to separate our work from our faith separate um, our, our, our our community from our faith we can feel that tension at times some of that is because we live in such a post-christian uh, tense context where people aren't exactly excited a lot of times about religion or about faith or about Jesus. And sometimes that can present a challenge for you and I, and we can feel those, those pressures and that resistance and that opposition. And so we felt like, hey, let's, let's talk about that in church. Let's talk about how God wants to not only be the God of Sunday, but the God of Monday through Friday and Saturday and Tuesday. He wants to be not just God with you at church, but he wants to be God with you at work. And God wants to use you not just to make money, but to make a difference. He wants to use you in your workplace, and he wants to empower you in your workplace. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about why work matters and things like uh, work as worship, as an expression of worship. We're also going to talk about work and witness. How can you be a witness in your workplace without being weird? Can somebody say amen? amen? How many of you know those weird people, those weird Christians? They like they got the, yeah, some of you like, I'm fitting by them right now. Don't do it. Don't point at them. Um, but go with me over to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read that in a few uh, moments. I actually have a lot of verses I'm going to read to you, but Genesis 1 is going to be one of the kind of launching pads for the discussion. But look at this quote that a friend of mine I met recently named Ken Costa. He's a brilliant, brilliant, um, brilliant leader. He's, he lives in London. He's South African. He's a banker in the investment banking, and he actually brokered the deal with Herod's when Herod sold. I mean, this guy... He is he's, he's an amazing leader. He's a Christian leader. He doesn't work at a, tr- at a church, never worked at a church. He works in business. He works in the marketplace. And he wrote a book called God at Work. And I'm uh, actually, I've been reading this book, and I had some time to, to spend with him in London in May, and he really impacted my life. I'll be with him in the next couple of weeks in Colorado. And he's he just, when I listen to the words that he says about how God doesn't want to just be God on Sunday, but he wants to be God in your workplace, and he wants to use you in your workplace, it's so inspiring. But I love this quote that he said, If the Christian faith is not relevant in the workplace, it is not relevant at all. If the Christian faith is not relevant in the workplace, it is not relevant at all. And so there's a couple questions I want us to, to tackle today. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to pray and just ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Would you bow your heads with me, Father, we love you. And uh, we just, we take a moment to pause and to lean into your word. We thank you, God, that your word has so much to say, not just about our Sunday. Not just about gathering as a church community to worship you, but God, you have something to say about every day and about every area of our life, God. God, you have something to say about our work and our vocation and our calling and our career. God, I believe that you are at work, not just in our lives, but you want to be at work through our lives, in the places, in the spaces that we find ourselves for 40, 50, 60 hours a week. God, you want to be there with us. And so today we open up this collection and we open up our hearts and our minds and we say, speak, Holy Spirit. We say, come, come and have your way today in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Is God interested in our work? This is a question I've been thinking about. You know, many people do not see God as a 24-7 God, but as a withdrawn actor confined to a Sunday show with a, de- with a declining audience. That's how people see God. God. Is he interested in our work? Most Christians, unfortunately, reduce God down to just a set of aside spaces that we've put on the side uh, for things that are sacred, like prayer and worship and scripture and discipleship and Sunday services. But unfortunately, these spaces only make up a small portion of our lives. Uh, you know whose fault this is, though it's it's not really your fault. It's primarily church's fault. It's it's my fault. It's pastors' fault because a lot of times, most of us pastors, we spend the majority of our time teaching people how to live the minority of their lives. Is that we we need to teach people how to read their Bible, how to pray, and teach people how to give and teach people about those things. But those portions, those those spiritual or sacred places of our life. They only take up and make up a small portion of our life. They are important. We should teach those things. We just taught many of those things in January, but there is so much more Now, I lead a church, so I'm not criticizing anyone but myself right here. Uh, But let me just tell you, I'm guilty as charged. Think about this. I teach people how to read the scriptures and pray and do the spiritual stuff. But how much time do we spend reading the scriptures? Think about this. How much time do you spend reading the scriptures every day? You don't have to yell it out loud. We don't want to embarrass anyone. (laughs) A half an hour maybe, uh, and I'm just going to use some of my, my times here. Half an hour maybe, and how much time do we spend in prayer? Think about this. How much time do you spend in prayer? I know this is hard to measure because we're to pray without ceasing, but set aside time. How much time do you spend in prayer? For me, maybe about an hour, hour and a half I'll spend in scripture and prayer. Um, but, but think about these additional things. Uh, if you just do the basic math, how, how long do you sleep? Now, I'm not talking about people with little babies because you probably only sleep for three or four hours. But most people sleep around eight hours, six to eight hours. Um, and then think about this. What about going to work? Another eight hours of work. Factoring your commute time, especially here in San Francisco. Throwing a stop for coffee, maybe about two hours to eat to take care of some to dos. Throwing uh, another hour of exercise, maybe. Um, so now we're about eight hours a day for rest and 12 hours a day for work. That leaves about four hours left in your day. We all know what those four hours are left to do, right? Netflix, right? Um, Honestly, we only have a few hours a day for spiritual stuff. So here's what, I'm, here's what I'm getting at. Listen, here's what I'm getting at. We have to talk about more than just a few sacred disciplines in church. While they are important, there is much more to your life than just praying and reading scripture. While God is concerned with that part of your life, may I submit the idea that he is concerned with all of your life. All of your life. Especially the part that makes up two-thirds of your life, which is... Your work. So is God interested in your work? He has to be because it makes up so much of who you are. Let's look at Genesis for just a moment where this whole work idea began. Genesis chapter 1, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. This is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. This is a collaborative effort that together this team, the triune team, this divine team, God the Father, Son, and Spirit says, we're about to do a work here. And here's what it's going to be. We're going to make mankind and we're going to do that. We're going to make them in our image and our likeness. So at first we see there's a creative entrepreneurial God that is in the middle of starting a new work. And he says, I'm, the work of my hands is going to be people and they're going to be made in my image, which means they're going to have an entrepreneurial, creative, workmanship type spirit in them that I'm going to place in them. And he goes on and he says, and here's why I'm going to make them. Now, this really blew me away when I read it. He says, we're going to make them in our image, in our likeness, so that they may worship me. No. He doesn't say that first. So that they may just, just go to church. No, he doesn't say that. So that they'll do spiritual things. He doesn't say that. He says, we're going to make them in our likeness so that they may rule. Come on, look at the person sitting next to you and say, you rule. Okay? You do. You rule. That's like so 90s for you. I rule. You rule. God rules. He said, I'm going to do that so that you'll rule or you'll have dominion. Uh, you'll work. You'll be in a, in a place of authority and you will take responsibility for things and you will, you will rule over these things. There will be some organization around it and you're going to do a work. And he says, here's what it's going to be. So that they will rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. That is to expand on my creation. Build out what I have already laid the foundation for. And he continues, and he says this. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree, that has, um, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was for all the vegetarians. Somebody say amen. Um, he says, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. And goes on in chapter 2. He says, now, watch this. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all the kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. It goes on to explain what those rivers were called. And then he says this last verse, and I want you to see this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. See, I believe that our work matters to God because our work is deeply a part of our identity as image bearers of God. It's the way he, listen, we are wired to work. God actually said, I'm a worker. God starts out the Genesis account, the very beginning of of creation, as a worker doing a work. And he says, I'm going to create man and woman in my image. And what is his image? His image is, I'm a worker. He says, I'm going to create a worker that is going to do what? That is going to partner with me to expand my creation, to expand my kingdom. I'm going I'm to partner with man and woman. Can you think of a greater privilege and honor? No one else had this privilege. The birds, the, the fish, the animals, no, no nothing and no one else had this privilege other than mankind to be able to partner with God, to do his work. Now listen, the enemy the enemy can twist this and distort this. And we begun, begun, begin to separate our work from God, and we begin to find our identity in our work. Now, that's different. That's a distortion of the original creation of God. God says, I want you to be in relationship with me, and I want you to partner with me in work. And it's in that I I wove that into the very fabric of who you are, and it will be this beautiful thing. And you'll be satisfied and fulfilled from it. Do you know that work was not hard until the fall of man? Man did not even sweat until sin entered the world. Work was just joy. And enjoyment and fun and fulfilling and satisfying and rewarding this cadence and this 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 relationship with God. It was this beautiful thing. Have you ever been a part of a team where it just brought you joy? Have you ever been a part of a team that brought you such frustration and futility and just like, oh my gosh, I want to kill all these people? The reason that's not me, I have a wonderful team that I serve with. The reason, listen, when sin entered the world, death entered the world. When death entered the world, death entered the work. Work was never supposed to be the way some of us experience it. It's supposed to be in relationship to God doing his work no matter where you work. In partnership with him, with his presence and his spirit filling your life, enlarging and expanding his kingdom wherever it is that you may work. God made us as workers to join him in the work that he is doing in the world. So then the question is, is there a difference between sacred and secular work? How many of you, by a show of hands, you you grew up in a church kind of environment, and this is okay if you didn't, but you grew up in a church environment that separated spiritual work or sacred work from secular work? You've ever heard that language before? A few of you in here. I grew up in an environment that really was like that. There was this Hard lines, separation between the things that the pastor, the priest, the deacon, the bishop, the worship leader, between what they do and what everyone else does. I grew up in this type of environment where there was a separation. And many Christians have grown up with that type of idea. It's really only been in the past few hundred years where it's been like that. Uh, you can see Martin Luther uh, Martin Luther wrote um, what was his book or his letters I think it was um, the priesthood of every believer this was something that was part of the Reformation saying that every believer has a work to do and it is a spiritual work there's not a separation between spiritual and and secular or sacred and secular but before I worked at church believe it or not I haven't always been a Christian I know some of you thought that I haven't always been a Christian and I haven't always been a pastor there was a time where I worked at, at restaurants I loved it I thought I was going to be either a chef or or an owner of a restaurant, I really loved it, gave my life to Jesus. And uh, I just got to tell you, it just got really challenging where I worked in this restaurant. It was just, it was wild. There was a lot of things that were going on there. And I just felt like I've got to remove myself from that and uh, begin to help a friend with a startup landscape company. Now I lived in the South and it's about a thousand degrees. I quickly realized that God had not called me to work outside (laughs) quickly. But I remember being a young man, and I immediately, as a young Christian, a follower of Jesus, I began to so desire. I want to be on staff at a church. I wanted to be on staff at a church so bad. Part of that was was truly vocation. Vocation comes from a French an old uh, old Latin word, uh, vocare, which means to call. Part of it was my, my vocational calling from God to be in ministry. But part of it was this, is I truly in my mind, no one necessarily taught me this, but I truly in my mind thought that there was sacred work, which was special work, and everyone else did the other stuff. I really thought that. I really believed that. I, I don't know why. I, I, it wasn't a mentor that taught me that, but I believed that and I thought that. But here's what you need to know. A lot of people have that same perception. But here's what you need to know. In God's eyes... There is no such divide between the work that's sacred and the work that's secular. There is no divide between the member and the minister when it comes to sacred work that he's called his church to do. The famous English writer Dorothy Sayers, she said this. This is so good. She said, "In nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She, speaking of the church, she has allowed work and religion to become separate departments. Look at this. And is astonished to find that as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends. Isn't that powerful? In other words, here's what she's saying. Because the church has made this separation, it has actually become the culprit to the destructive systems that now rule much of the working environments. Listen to this. I wrote this down. We have diminished ministry to Sundays and decommissioned ministers from the world God desires to work in. That is what we do when we separate the sacred and the secular, or the spiritual and the secular. I love how the Apostle Paul, he made this beautiful statement that brought back together the secular and the sacred. He says this in Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever, that that, that is as a teacher, uh, in, in politics, that is if you work at a bakery, that is if you work Whatever, whatever you do, not just the the stuff that looks glamorous, not just the stuff that looks spiritual. Whatever you do, work at it with with how much of your heart? With all of your heart. Why? As working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, listen, you're listen to this. Your work becomes sacred based on why you do it and who you do it for. That's what makes your work sacred. Is why you do it and who you do it for. So is there a difference between sec- sacred and secular work? Well, I, I don't think there is, but, but while there is maybe some special, there's something special about gospel-centered work, proclaiming Jesus so that man can be reconciled to God, there is something special about that because that's what God's doing in the earth, reconciling man to himself. But, but you need to understand that that there is still, there's not only this reconciliation of man being reconciled and restored to God, but God has also commissioned ministers, kingdom ministers in your workplace To bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So it's to restore. Listen, if the garden brought death and destroyed the world and destroyed work, now God commissions us as reconcilers to him and restorative workers in our workplace, bringing his kingdom, his goodness, his mercy, his patience, his love, his excellence. That's who we are now. And we bring it as a conduit to the places that we work. Amen? They're going to get me excited. Let me ask you this question. Does your job, your current job that you have, does your job, I even mean if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, does your current job, your current vocation, do you feel like it's a calling or is it just a means to an end? Do you feel like that, that which you wake up for in the morning, 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., you commute 30, 45 minutes, an hour, maybe some of you two hours, to get to that place, do you see it as a calling as a vocation, as as a divine calling from God, as a minister, as a missionary, if you will, in your place of work? Do you see it that way? How do you see it? I love something that that Steve Jobs said um, a long time ago. He said this, he said, For the last 30 years, I've woken up every morning and looked in the mirror and asked myself the same question. If today were the last day of my life, What I want to do, what I'm about to do today. And if the answer is no, for too many days in a row, then something needs to change. Now, let me ask you this question. What if what needs to change is not the job, but the way you see the job? I think a lot of times we find ourselves in a job and a vocation and a career and we're like, I don't like this. I'm frustrated. It's not fulfilling. A lot of times it's because of this. It's not that we need a new job. We may just need a new perspective about our job. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's times when you need a job change. You have a a, a terrible boss. You work with a toxic team. You're not, you know, able to pay your bill. I get it. There are times when we need that. But I think the first place where we start is not changing our circumstance, but changing our perspective. That's the first place we have to start. So here's my big idea for you today. I'm going to take the last few moments that I have to basically unpack this. Here's the big idea. Write it down. Our work matters to God, and God matters to our work. Our work matters to God. This is the starting point for this entire collection. We'll get practical in the next few weeks, but today this is the foundation. Our work, your work, it matters to God. Teacher, finance guy, you know, whatever you may do, like, your work, it matters. You need to know this. The enemy has told you in your mind, and you may even tell yourself, like, my work doesn't really matter. Listen, your work, it matters to God and God matters to your work. Now, let me break down the first one. Your work matters to God. Ephesians chapter 6 says this Those who are employed should listen to their employers and obey their instructions with great respect and honor. This is how God says for you to have God at work with you, working in and through you, this is how you should live. You should listen to your employer and obey their instructions with great respect and honor. Serve them. Have a position and a posture of a servant. Serve them with humility. Don't be an expert. Don't act like you know it all. Listen, be a student, not an expert. Serve them with humility in your hearts as though you were working for the master. Who? Jesus. Capital M. Master. Always do what is right, and not only when others are watching. Integrity. Always do what is right. And not only when others are watching, so that you may please Christ. You may honor Jesus as his servants by doing his will. Serve your employers. Some of you right now, you want to grit your teeth because you're thinking about that department head right now. And you're like, I want to stab them. Is what I want to do with my big pen. I just want to just stab them. (laughs) Take my stapler and staple their eyes shut. Just that's what I want to do. (laughs) Serve your employers wholeheartedly with all your heart. That's, That's with all of your heart. He doesn't say serve your Christian. Don't serve your pastors. Serve, your, serve the Christian leaders. He says serve that person that you can't stand maybe. Serve him with love. Whose love? His love. As though you were serving Christ and not men. Be assured, he says. Be assured. Look at this. That anything, anything you do, not just the prayer, not just the preach, not just to lead worship, anything, anything you do. That is beautiful and excellent. Anything that, that what enhances the beauty of what God has created, that expands his kingdom, that, the creativity, the innovation, the art, the songs, the music, the, whatever it is that you do, anything that you do, building houses, whatever it is that you do, anything you do that is beautiful and excellent will be repaid by our Lord. Whether you are an employee or an employer. See, here's what I wrote down. You only reward what matters. He says, Paul says to the Ephesians, guys, God's going to reward you for anything that you do in his name unto him with all of your heart, regardless of who you work for or where you work. He's going to repay you. He's going to reward you. Here's why. Because your work matters to God. For some of you, you've been in a work environment where you feel like you have been busting your butt and nobody has recognized you. Nobody has rewarded you. No one's even stopped to say thank you. But here's what you need to know. God says to you today, I see your work. I see your faithfulness. I see your passion. I see your sacrifice. I see how you're doing this. I see that you're doing this for me and I will reward you. I will repay you. You need to know. I don't know if he's going to reward you in this job. Maybe it's in another place of your life. Maybe it's in another area of your life where you need it more than you need recognition at work. But God says, I will reward you. and I re- This is a promise of God because your work matters to him. He will reward you and he will repay you. Colossians 3, we read a portion of it earlier. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know, the question is, do you know? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord, look at this, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It doesn't say act like it is the Christ Lord you are serving. It says, no, your work, it is to the Lord. It is for him. He's your master. He's your boss. He's your department head. He's the principal. He's the, pr- it is Jesus. You have to have a perspective shift and change. That person that's driving you crazy, that person that you just have to know, that's not who you're working for. You're working for Jesus. Mm. you will receive good news. Excuse me, you will receive. This is good news for some of you today because of what you feel like you're not getting. Now listen, we will take our faith to work only when we believe that our work is valuable to God. See, some of you, and I've fallen this trap before, we fail to bring our faith into our workplace because we have lost the, the perception and the perspective that God, God cares about our work, and because of it, we draw the line. And we say, you know what, my work doesn't really matter. Um, God doesn't really care about it, and so it's just a paycheck. It's just a means to an end. It's just to provide for my family, and those things are important. But God has placed you there for more than a paycheck. He has placed you there to make a difference for his glory and for their good. Even if they never give their life to Jesus, I'm not going to minimize your presence and your workplace down to just the platform for evangelism. While that is important, God cares about everyone. He cares about all people. He wants to get his goodness to the people at your work. He wants to get his mercy to the people at your work. He wants you to be a kingdom conduit, just pouring out his grace and his mercy and his love, setting a new standard of excellence in your workplace. Even if nobody in your workplace, in your department, ever come to faith in Jesus, Listen, if your workplace goes from being toxic to being healthy because you're there, then it it was worth it. If your workplace goes from not having patience, not having grace, not having mercy, not having love. If the standard gets raised, if the kingdom of God gets raised in that workplace, then you were sent on mission and you were successful and it came to fruition. This is why God has placed you there. Your work, it matters to God. It really does really does matter to God. I wrote this down. I love this right here. Some of you think that you are stuck in a job. You don't have to say amen, but I like that. You go, (laughs) hmm. Josh, you can't do that, but hmm. Some of you are like, I'm married and I just want to go, "Mm." hmm. Stuck in this marriage. Listen, you think that you're stuck in that job. Like, I can't, I've can't. i been putting in all these resumes, all these applications. I've been making all these phone calls. Man, I've been looking, hoping that a headhunter from LinkedIn would find me, and they'd recruit me, and I'm just stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And God says today, you're not stuck, you're stationed. You are stationed in your workplace. But because you've been looking for greener pastures, I just need you to know, God says, I'm looking for you to water the grass that you're planted. I'm looking for you to do a work in your workplace because I want to do a work in you and through you. Here's what I know about God. God doesn't call us just to lush green pastures. Many times as his leaders, as his servants, as his ministers, he calls us to create green pastures. God didn't call me to plant a church in some easy place where everybody's saved and there's a church on every corner. He called us to plant a church in a place that needed it, a place that was dark, a place that doesn't look lush. But he says, I want you to go there. Bring my light. I want you to go there and be salt. I want you to bring my grace, bring my mercy, bring my compassion. Go and be an agent of change. That's what he wants me to do and he wants you to do. This is my work. But what is your work? You are not stuck. You are stationed. You are stationed in that place. Let me hurry up. i got to get to my last little point there. Listen, not only does your work matter to God, God matters to your work. He matters to your work. He's a, if you will invite him, he will be a difference maker in your work. You know that you never have to go to work alone. Even if you are a remote worker and you work in a cube by yourself or at your house, you never have to go to work alone. You can invite the Holy Spirit to come and empower you. And to enrich your life and equip you with everything you need, strategy and wisdom and creativity. The things that your whole team that you've been working with is trying, they're racking their brains, scratching their head, trying to think, how are we going to do this? How are we going to turn product to profit? How are we going to close these margins? God can give you the creativity and the strategy that the rest of the people on your team, they don't have. It's divine wisdom. Don't you think? know that God is, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Why would we not ask him to be our advisor? You know what, I I, I love having a financial advisor because I don't have the most financial intelligence. Like I'm not the smartest person with stocks and shares and whatever. But I know who I can call on to help me, to to loan me their wisdom for the things that I don't know. God wants to do that with your work, whatever your work is. He wants to equip you and strengthen you and encourage you and give you all the things that you need. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Paul said to the uh, church of Philippi, for it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work. Why? For his good pleasure. Another translation says for his purpose. It is God that is at work in you that will give you the desire and the power to walk out his purposes for your life. And it will bring him pleasure. Now, listen, that applies to doing ministry in the church. But it also applies to doing ministry outside the church. It applies to what we do in this sacred space, but also in your secular space. So so you need to hear this. I'm I'm praying that today, this was my prayer this morning, I said, God, I pray that you would both give the people in our church the desire, the will for you to work in and through them in their workplace, but also the power and the ability and the tools to be able to do it. It says that God will do that. I love this Ephesians chapter two, it says this, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works. So you were not saved from works. You were not saved from what you have done. You're saved because of what Jesus has done. Listen, it's not from your works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation or his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we weren't saved by good works. We were saved for good works. This is a work of Jesus. It says, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. So here's the point I'm trying to make. God matters to our work. Here's what Ephesians is saying, is that you will never fully, no matter if you land the job of your dreams, you will never fully fulfill your potential and do all the great works that God prepared for you before the foundations of the earth unless you were connected to God through Jesus Christ. You could get the job. You could have the, you could have the corner suite. You can can meet all the right people. You can have all the right favor. All the doors can open. But still, you'll only scratch the surface of your potential and your purpose unless you're connected to Jesus. Listen, God matters to your work. You may get lucky enough to stumble into a good career, but you will never fulfill a calling apart from a relationship with Jesus. That's the reality. Mm. Proverbs chapter 16. God matters to our work. Proverbs 16, 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In other words, your work that you do, commit it to him. Lord, this is not my work. This is your work. And he will establish your plans. In other words, he will make you successful in what you've been called to do. Now, listen, <laughs> make no mistake about it. Don't get it twisted. That does, just because he's going to make you successful and prosper you does not mean it will not be painful on the way. I mean, I think about Joseph. Go read Genesis when you get a chance. Joseph, this guy here, amazing calling on his life, amazing potential on his life. I mean, God put a dream in his heart. And then the, his next step, he gets, he gets clothed with favor and then then he starts sharing his dreams with people. First mistake. You don't tell everybody what God's put in your heart. Don't cast your pearls among swine. Sometimes you need to let a dream marinate on the inside of you before you. Anyway, that's another sermon. And Joseph starts running his mouth. And his brothers, his brothers, man, talk about painful. His brothers throw him in a, a pit. Then they sell him into slavery. Talk about. Uh, but I thought God favored him. See, the. the, the the coat was a representation that his father gave him of favor. The, the word of God says he blesses the righteous and he surrounds him with favor. But they take his coat and they throw him in a pit and then they sell him off without his coat. How many of you know that, that favor cannot be stripped? It can only be squandered. So while his, his favor was stripped or his cloak was stripped off for of him, the favor of God remained on him because God's call was on his life. The next thing, somewhere in the journey, I believe that Joseph, he he had a realization that, like, this isn't working out with me trying to just fulfill my call or my dream. I need to commit this to God. At some point, I'm just, this is just me using my imagination here. He must have got it because we see Joseph, he matures. Have you ever noticed how pain will sometimes mature you? It can. It can make you better or bitter. It's how you handle it. But we know that something shifts in Joseph. Joseph shows up at Potiphar's house. And the Bible says that God was with Joseph and that Joseph had a spirit of excellence and he stewarded every opportunity given to him by Potiphar. And the Bible says that that God was with Joseph and that he made him successful in everything that he did. But then the story continues. Then Potiphar's wife, we call her Hotifer, we don't know her name. (laughs) She starts seducing him. He's seduced at work. He is in the middle of just trying to honor God at work, and then this woman comes to try to seduce him, tries to derail him. He makes a grand statement whenever whenever she starts to seduce him. He says this. He goes, I cannot do this with you because this would be a sin, not against Potiphar. He says this would be a sin against God. See, he's working for God, not for Potiphar. His work is for the Lord. She, She, again, strips his cloak. See, again, favor cannot be stripped. It can only be squandered. He didn't squander it. She strips his, his coat. He runs out the house naked, the Bible says. That's crazy. <laughs> Falsely accused. Then he gets thrown in prison for the scandal. This is his career. This is what his, tra- his portfolio is looking like. This His resume is like scandal, betrayal, sexual misconduct, sexual harassment. He's not even a politician. I mean, it's just like, Jason, stop. I'm kidding. I'm with y'all. He can only say that in San Francisco. You can't say that in the South. You just can't. We're party free. Everybody say, our church is party free. But he goes on. We're going to delete that from the podcast. He goes on. Look at this. He goes on. Then he gets thrown in prison. He's in prison, and yet he's still. The Bible says that God's with him. You know, God will be with you. you. Some of you feel like you're in a job that feels like a prison. But if you'll continue to work as under the Lord, he'll be with you. He'll make you successful. He made him successful even in prison, in a, in a hard place. Then he helps out these guys, his coworkers. He helps them out. Remember the, the baker and the butler or whatever? It sounds like we're playing Clue here. But, I mean, he helps them out, interprets their dream. One of them gets out, and he forgets the favor. You ever had somebody at work you did a favor for, and they forgot all about it? Yeah. (laughs) I love our church. Y'all are so crazy. They forget the favor, but Joseph still stays faithful because he's not working for them. He's working for his Lord. He's working for God. And God puts him in front of Pharaoh. And God was with him in front of Pharaoh, and God made him successful. And then he was elevated to a place of leadership, second in command, 2IC. God used him to save a nation and to save his people. See, God made him successful, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a hard road. But if you'll commit your ways to the Lord, he will make you successful. Let me finish with this. What I want you to do, here's, Here's something practical for you as we take the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some things, but here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to use this quote um, by Ronald, I can't say his last name, Heifetz or something, but anyway, here's what he says. If you find what you do each day seems to have no link to any higher purpose, you probably want to rethink what you're doing. In other words, Ronald is saying, if you feel a a connection to a higher, power, a higher purpose in your job, if you don't feel that, then maybe you need to find a new job. And I do think that sometimes, as I said earlier, you do need to look for a new job, but could it be that you need to rethink what you're doing? Maybe you are in fact in the wrong job or maybe a little deeper than that. You need to rethink how you see your job and how you're doing your job and how you're integrating your faith in your job. Maybe on the other side of you, inviting God to your work with you, you would begin to find fulfillment. And satisfaction. So, what I want you to do, I want you to to rethink, maybe even re-see the way you see your work. Because the way you see your job will always influence the way you do your job, the way you see it. So here's the three things that I wrote down for for us that I want to I want to ask you as a pastor of our church simply to do this very practically. Number one, I want you to stick with this the next few weeks. You may have work where you have to travel. If that's what you have to do, then make sure you tune into the podcast. Uh, Check us out. I think they're starting to do Facebook Live, something like that. If you have to travel for work, then do that. But if you're here in the city, I want you to be in here with our community as we say, God, we want to learn what does it mean to integrate our faith, to integrate and to invite you into our work. Okay? For the next few weeks, we're going to do that, number one. Number two, I want you just to start inviting God into your work through prayer in the morning before you go to work. And even while you're at work, when you have to make decisions, it doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just a simple, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do right here? What should I do, Holy Spirit? You can pray it to yourself. Invite God into your work. Listen, your work is not sacred because you are there. Your work becomes sacred because he is there. So invite him into your work. And the last one is this, is I, wanna, I want us to wrestle with these questions, both in contemplation and in community. Contemplation meaning by yourself. I want you to think about these questions. Can you put those seven questions on the screen? I'm not going to go through all of them. Take out your phone really quick. I want you to take take a snapshot of these, these questions. We have a small group. It's a dinner party that Jennifer and I do. We have a couple different small groups, uh, but we've been asking questions. They've been fun, lighthearted questions at our small group. This week, so I'm giving some of you the cheat sheet that are in my dinner party, Jennifer and I dinner party. This week, I want um, our dinner party, we're going to ask these questions, and um, and we're going to talk through some of these. We'll try to get through as many as we can. And if you're in a small group at our church, I want to encourage you, have a conversation around these this week. Let today be a continuation into your, your week. But for some of you you are not a part of a small group, listen, it's not too late. You can join a small group. We'd love for you to do that. You can do that in the lobby. Or, or if you don't, if you say you don't have bandwidth or capacity or time to do that, I want you to find someone, at least one person, you can talk through these questions with. And have an honest, candid, real conversation. And I believe that God is going to use this. Our work matters to God. And God matters to our work. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.